You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Turning your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. As you're doing that, let me give you a couple of uh, updates on uh, a couple of things. First of all is a playground update. We are within about $1,400 of having that thing paid for. That is amazing. And we're excited because we've gotten a ship date of June 29th. And so, Lord willing, and here's the the only issue I've got. When July 4th falls on a weekend, how does that work? Which, what is the week of July 4th? Is it, if it falls on a Saturday, is it the week before? If it falls on Sunday, is it the next week? I have no idea. But the installation crew that's going to put it in is off the week of July 4th. They're out of Kinston, North Carolina. So still trying to figure out when that is. But Lord willing, we're going to have this thing delivered and installed by the middle of July. Then we're going to put a fence around it. Then we're going to mulch it. And so hopefully by the end of July, 1st of August, we're going to have that thing done. So thank you so much for giving and supporting that and being part of that. Something else I want to mention to you, of course, um, take a look at this picture. This is one of my favorite pictures. Who are those two guys? I'm like, who is that? That that date stamp says 2007. It's been several years ago. Of course, Pastor Brad announced last week that the Lord has called him to uh, church in Jacksonville. And I heard uh, this week that uh, President Trump, since uh, he heard that uh, Brad's coming to Jacksonville, he's moving the Republican National Convention there because Brad's going to be there. And so, uh, that, of course, I'm joking. But the point is is that we're so grateful for all that that Pastor Brad has done here in the 15 years here and we want to show him our gratitude and we're going to be taking up a love offering. In fact that's happening now. You can if you go on to our website or our app there's a little drop down in the give section that has Pastor Brad love offering and you can give. If you want to do that when you're here we're going to do that on the last two Sundays he's with us on Sunday June 28th and Sunday July the 5th which will be his last Sunday. And also you'll notice this uh, brown box up here, this walnut box. It's, it just simply says notes for Pastor Brad. Maybe you'd want to write a note to him, a card for the things he's done, the way he's encouraged you through, through the last 15 years. It'll be something he, he and his family will treasure uh, as they head on their way down to Florida. So I know you'll want to take part in that. Well, this morning I could greet you and welcome you as I do by saying to you, welcome everyone to Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. And that would work because you are everyone. And to those of you watching on Mount Pleasant anywhere, I could say, welcome everyone who is watching us today. That would work. I could also say this, welcome church family to Mount Pleasant Baptist Church today. I could say to those watching and to those of you who are here, welcome brothers and sisters in Christ. True? I could say, welcome family of God. You know, we're just singing about the family. May his favor be upon you for a thousand generations to your family and your children and their children and their children. So we're the family of God. Yes, brothers, sisters, family. Unless, of course, you have not yet surrendered your life to Christ and given your life to Him and chosen to follow Him because I can't address you as a brother or sister in Christ if you're not part of the family. Are you part of the family? 
today? Have you come to Christ? If I say welcome brothers and sisters, if I say welcome family of God, then if you're born again, then you are. Oh, how I want you to be part of the family. Because if you're not part of the family of God, then the alternative is, the alternative is, is that you are still not in the family, meaning that if you're not in God's family, and, and so many people don't understand this, you're still in Satan's family. You're still in his kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, and not the kingdom of light. The alternative to not being in the family of God and one day being in heaven with him is that you will be in hell forever with Satan. I mean, they can't be two more diametrically opposed. Oh, how I want you to be part of the family of God and your children and their children for a thousand generations. And I believe this is how the Apostle Paul felt. You know, the Apostle Paul did three missionary journeys. Well, actually did four. The fourth one, they were hauling him off to Rome for trial. But his three missionary journeys establishing churches, and he loved those churches. He loved those people. They were family. And I believe he feels, as we do, that he, he wants them to be blessed. In fact, he in writing to the church at Ephesus said these words, see the screens in Ephesians 4, 4. There is, no, notice this family now. There is one body, okay? That's talking about the family of God. There is one spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and there, he, there it is. He's Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Yet church, whew, these words written to the church at Ephesus did not describe the church at Corinth at all. That place was a disaster. And we've been seeing this for the past seven weeks in our study in 1 Corinthians. What a messed up place Corinth was. And yes, I'm talking about the city. It's a pagan city. It's a seaport town. And everything known to man is coming in there. Not only goods, but all kinds of ways of thinking. It's kind of like the internet. But unfortunately, church, I must tell you that not only was the city of Corinth messed up, so was the church. That church in Corinth was pagan and filthy just like the city. We've been talking about this. This church was riddled with division, factions, cliques. One group followed this leader, another group followed that leader. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I we even saw last week that the church is condoning a situation where there's a man who has an illicit affair with his stepmom. Goodness! And the church was doing nothing about it. They were condoning it. And what did we see? that the church was instructed to go through the pain of removing him from the fellowship of the church until he could come to his senses like the prodigal son and repent. And thanks be to God, he did. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he did. But listen, listen, this church family in Corinth was in great disarray. They, they were, they were, they were, we're going to see today, they're actually going to take one another to court and sue one another. 
Talk about a messed up family. You ever gone to a family reunion and it's just messed up? Hmm? You ever, you ever been to one of those and you're just like, everybody's just kind of off all in their huddles? Everybody kind of gets their food at the little buffet line where all the food's set out and then everybody kind of sits with their own family and don't, you know what I'm saying? That's how it was in Corinth. You say, well, it can't get any worse than that guy and that lady. Well, it does because they're suing each other. Everybody's taking each other to court. If you made your way there, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. The Bible says, when one of you has a grievance against another, you've got an issue with somebody in the church, does he dare go to law? That means does he go to the court before unrighteous instead of the saints? Now, the word saint there is another word for Christian. Why in the world, he's saying, would you take this to a secular court and not try to settle it with inside the church? Verse 2, he said, don't you know that the saints will judge the world? We will. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try these little trivial cases of y'all's? Verse 3, do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? By the way, a period at the end of that sentence or an exclamation point. The exclamation point. This is serious stuff. Watch this. Verse 4. So if you have these little trivial cases, why in the world do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? He says, verse 5, I say this to your shame, y'all. Can it be that there's nobody among you who's wise enough to settle a, dis a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to the court, to the law, against brother, and that before unbelievers. Goodness. To have lawsuits, verse 7, at all with one another, you're already defeated. Why would you rather not suffer wrong? Why don't you allow yourself to be defrauded? Literally be cheated. But you yourselves, you wrong and defraud even your own brothers and sisters. Verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, who won't inherit the kingdom of God? He says, don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It means they're not going to heaven. Verse 11, I love this verse. And such were some of you. These Corinthians, they'd been delivered from these lifestyles. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Under no other name under heaven might we be saved other than the name of Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Church family, the church at Corinth was having little or no effect at all in the Corinthian community. Paul has intimated this fact for five chapters. A watching world in Corinth saw division, factions, cliques, and discord. They saw that the church wasn't unified. And the community that was watching all of this, I'm telling you, it did not go unnoticed. Listen, look at me. People know the score. They know what's going on. They know you, and you know them. They know me, and, the, and I know them. Listen. We might think we're pulling the wool over people's eyes. Mm -mm. People are smarter than we give them a credit for. You understand that? You say, well, they don't know about that. <laughs> oh, yes, they do. And with social media, you can find anything out. I mean anything. The community at Corinth was watching this church that was allowing sin. They've got all kinds of factions. And now they're hauling each other off to court and the church was having no effect whatsoever in the community. In fact, they were a blight on the testimony of the Lord in the community. 
You see, we can talk all day long. We can sing all day long about how much we love Jesus, but if we don't love one another, that doesn't go unnoticed. You know that old song, they will know we are Christians by what we post on social media, right? <laughs> well, that too, but they'll know we are Christians, as the song says, by our love for one another. John said as much. I want you to see the screens. The Apostle John said this, 1 John 2, verse 9. He said, whoever says he is in the light, that means if you say you're saved and you hate your brother, you're still in darkness. Verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother, talking about another believer, is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Church, how we treat one another is our witness to a lost and dying world. We're either contagious, our love is for one another, or we are actually just pushing people away. The Corinthians, well, they were watching the church at Corinth, and the members of that church were showing great hatred for one another. I want you to jump down to verse 8. We read it a moment ago, but this really is the crescendo of this passage. Look down at verse 8. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 6, 8. He said, but you yourselves are wronging and defrauding even your own brothers. And that word brothers is a generic term that means brothers and sisters. Family doesn't do that to one another. God hates it when we're divided you pick it as a, as a family, your own family, or whether it's within a church. In fact, this sin of discord is actually one of the seven sins that God hates. Have you ever heard of these sins? The seven abominations of God. You know where they're found? Proverbs. Will you turn there with me? Will you go to the middle of your Bible? Actually, it's really probably not the middle. In my Bible, it's about 40% of the way through because now you've got all these maps and all this stuff in the back. With, you know. but, but go to Proverbs chapter 6 and make your way to verse 16. By the way, my family, we've been reading in the book of Proverbs. Because what are Proverbs? It's the wisdom writings of a father to his sons. Hey, mom and dad, y'all got kids in your home? Read Proverbs out loud. It is amazing, particularly if you, listen, you got teenagers, you need to be reading in the teens in Proverbs. Chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, man, that's good stuff. And you can train your kids that are seven, eight, and nine years old on that stuff too. Do you read the Word of God out loud in your home? Do you read the Word of God out loud in your home? It's powerful. It's powerful. Because the Word of God washes over their lives and literally just penetrates their spirit. Now these seven deadly sins are sometimes called these sins that God hates. Th these are, are not the only sins that God wants us to avoid, but they do sum up the things that God calls wicked. And these seven things that God hates are sins that deal with the heart, our motives. And so these Proverbs point a finger right at our hearts. You made your way there? Proverbs 6, look at verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. You ready? Ready? Haughty eyes, what is that? Means you're prideful. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and look at the last one. 
one who sows discord among the brothers. You say, now why are we reading this? Because this is a cross-reference passage to 1 Corinthians 6. There were brothers and sisters in the church at Corinth that were sowing discord amongst one another that had gotten so bad that they're now taking each other to court. Go back there now. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, turn back there. The church at Corinth, instead of loving one another, were suing one another. See it again, verse 1, 1 Corinthians 6, 1. Paul says, when one of you has a grievance against another, it happens. Does he dare go to the court, to law, before the unrighteous instead of the Christians, the saints? And again, church, this is very straightforward. Listen, Paul is asking the church to put it in our vernacular. Why in the world would you consult the world and its system to handle matters that ought to be handled by spiritual people in the church? You see, according to Jewish tradition, according to the Mishnah, taking a legal matter to a pagan court was considered blaspheming God. You want to know why? Because it was in effect saying to God, God, you don't have the answer to this problem. But they had the answers. Did they have the Proverbs? Did the first century church at Corinth have the Proverbs? Yes! What did they have? They had the Old Testament law. They had the law and the prophets. They had the Old Testament. They, they, literally, they had Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and what? A light to my path. But they weren't following the teachings. Instead, they were suing one another. The fact that the Christians in Corinth were not settling these, these disputes and these trivial matters, but were going to the pagan courts, was an affront to the testimony of Christ in the community of Corinth. The community of Corinth was looking at the church going, could not. Do you see how these people are treating each other? I mean, they're so, they're so they, they, they hate each other apparently. They're taking each other to court. That's verse 4. Paul says, look, y'all, if you have cases, these little trivial cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? He said, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers, but you feel like you've got to go to law to the court against your brother, and you do that before unbelievers? The Corinthian church should have been able to materially work through the teachings of Jesus. You say, wait a minute, they had the teachings of Jesus? They did. I'm going to show you that in a moment. They had Matthew 18, 15. You know, we saw that last week. You remember Matthew 18, 15? We saw this from the passage last week with this guy and his stepmom, right? What do you do when somebody wrongs you? It's a brother in Christ. What does Jesus teach? Step one, you go to them how? Well, you send them a text. No. Well, you send them an email. Now, you send them a, a DM, a PM, a, a Midol PM. No, no, no. You, you go to them one-on-one. -on -one. You go face-to-face. -face. That's what this means. Matthew 18, 15. You go to them one-on-one. -on -one. That's physically face-to-face -face and seek to try to work it out. If they, don't, if, if they won't listen and it's some egregious sin, it's not because they high-hatted you at Walmart, okay? All right? I mean, their mask may have been up here and they couldn't see you. You know, I don't know. So don't, don't, you know, be trivial about it. That's what he's talking about. But, but in this case, if it's something egregious then you, and, and they're living in sin, then you go and take one or two more. Why? Establish witnesses. 
Because your, your goal is reconciliation. Your goal is not to win or pound that brother or sister in Christ in the ground. Your goal is to win them back, to get off the, where they've strayed on the path of error. So if they won't listen, what's step three? They won't listen to you. They won't listen to one or two more. What's step three? We saw it last week. What do you do? Take it to the church. And step four, if they won't listen to the church, what do you have to do? Remove them. Yep, remove them. What, what does that mean? You remove them from under the protection of the sheepfold. You remove them from under the umbrella so that they, they literally, like the prodigal son, they, they go off to where that they can come to their senses and return back to the Father's house. And we celebrate. And that's exactly what happened to the man who was living in sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us that he did. You say, Pastor Kevin, wait a minute now. They had the instructions of Matthew from Jesus' words? Yes, they did. Scholars tell us, one of whom is my good friend, Dr. David Black, who is professor of New Testament and Greek down at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, says that the Gospel of Matthew was written in and around 42 A.D. This letter to the Corinthian church, this first letter, to 1 Corinthians that we have, was written and, and, and established, or, or was the church rather, was established around 52 A.D. This was, this was written somewhere around 56 to 58 A.D. So what does that mean? 42 A.D., 52 A.D., some 10 years had passed. And so scholars are confident that the Apostle Paul on his three missionary journeys establishing churches was carrying a scroll of Matthew's gospel. So he had the teachings of Christ. And that's what he was teaching to the churches. So they had the instructions of Jesus, but they simply weren't following them. And instead they were taking each other to court. Good night. And so Paul had to remind them of something. He had to remind them of who they were. This is verse 2. See it in your Bibles or the screens? 1 Corinthians 6, 2. Do you not know that the saints, that means Christians, we're going to one day judge the world. And if the world is to be judged by you, the, the Christians, you are, he says, are you incompetent to try these trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? Exclamation point. Did you know that, church, that we're going to assist Jesus in judging? You say when? During the millennial kingdom. When Jesus sets up his thousand-year millennial reign and he rules from the throne in Jerusalem, we're going to rule and reign with him. Jesus said as much. Matthew recorded this. <clears throat> See the screens? Matthew 19, verse 28. Jesus teaching his disciples, he said, Truly I say to you, in the new world, and he's talking about the millennial kingdom, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. See, this is where Jesus is going to keep his promise to the nation of Israel. Remember, he's going to rule and reign on the throne of David. And he'll do that for a thousand years in Jerusalem. And so we will rule and reign with him. And the Bible says that we're going to judge angels. Judge angels? That's what the scripture says. You say, which ones? The good ones or the bad ones? Well, scholars differ on this. Some scholars say we'll judge the good angels. Some scholars say we'll judge the good and the bad angels. 
While some other scholars say that we will judge only the fallen angels. You know that one-third of the angels that were a part of the rebellion with Lucifer when he tried to say, he said, I want to be God and want to take over, and God kicked him out of heaven, and a third of the angels said, yeah, I'll go with him, and they're here on this earth now as part of Satan's demonic hordes. See, actually, not that it matters, but I'll give you my opinion. I actually tend to go with the latter, the, the third uh, case, that we will judge the fallen angels. There's nothing to judge as far as the good angels are concerned. They made their decision to stay in heaven, the two-thirds that are there, that are the ministering spirits to us that, that, take, that help us. But no, I believe it's that third that's part of the demonic horde. They're going to be judged. You say, where do you get that from? 2 Peter 2, 4. See the screens? For God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell. This is, a better word there is Hades or Tartus. And committed them to the chains of glory, of gloomy, or chains of gloomy darkness rather, to be kept until what? The judgment. And even though we're not given great detail in this, in some way, somehow, we will judge as believers those angels. Now church, whatever you might believe about that, this is the point. The Corinthian Christians had forgotten who they were. They're part of the family of God. That's what we were singing. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. That's the first song we sang today. They had forgotten. They're joint heirs with Christ. And he says, why are y'all acting like the world? Suing one another. Taking each other to court. Don't you know who you are? Don't you know whose you are? Paul says, Right, let me put it in this vernacular. Paul was saying to the church, if we were to write it in our language today, he would say to them, are you kidding me? You're already acting defeated by hauling each other off to court. That's verse 7. Look at verse 7. He said, look y'all, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why in the world would you rather not suffer wrong and why would you rather not be defrauded? That even means to be cheated than to go to court with your brother. You go, be cheated? I don't want to be cheated. I want my rights. I want you to say that I'm right. I want a court to say I'm right. Okay, let's say that you take your brother or sister in Christ to court and you win. What does that make your brother or sister in Christ? The loser. Right? I mean, would you do that in your family? You're having an argument about where you're going to go eat. One wants to go to Chick-fil-A, one wants to go to Arby's, okay? You want to go to Chick-fil-A, the one that wants to go to Arby's said, we're going to Chick-fil-A, I'm going to sue you. That's ridiculous. Of course it is. You wouldn't do that in your family. That's something trivial. Man, it's amazing what Christians get all upset about. I'm telling you. And build this stuff up, Lord have mercy. We build stuff up in our head. Chief sinners here, what they saying about me? What they doing about me? You know? Most of the time they're not even thinking about us. We're just letting Satan build a case. Why do we do that amongst brothers and sisters? You know who the enemy is? Not the brother or sister, it's Christ. <laughs> Why do we treat one another like we're the enemy? Satan just goes, yeah, I keep doing that. That's, that's working out really good. Really good. And everybody's watching, too. Everybody's watching. People are watching. They are. 
We don't want to do that. See, let's say a brother in Christ or sister in Christ wrongs you, okay? Maybe they're weaker in the faith. Maybe they're just not where you are. We've talked about this before. This is not to look down our noses or, or, or my nose or your nose, but maybe you're further along in your walk with Christ than they are. You're way down here and they're way back here. Again, it's not to look down our nose, but, but, but maybe they're, what, you want to go back there and act like you did 10 years ago? You want to get in the gutter? No. You, you, you know what this distance is between here and here? It's grace. We show grace and mercy to that brother. Maybe they are saying bad things about you. Maybe they got stuff going on in their life you don't know anything about. Maybe they're hurting in ways you can't even begin to understand. And maybe they are taking it out on you. You ever take it out on your family and don't mean to? Anybody besides me? The very ones you love the most and you take it out on them? Because you're hurting. Maybe they just need you to come along them and help them. Say, well, I don't want to be a doormat. Don't want to be a doormat just letting people think they can walk all over me. Look, nobody's asking you to be a doormat. Was Jesus a doormat? Did he take it on the chin? Yeah, he stood for truth, but he took it on the chin. He took it in the hands and the feet and a crown of thorns on his head, and he took a spear in his side. He said we're to turn the other cheek, to walk the second mile, to forgive 70 times 7. Peter thought, man, I'm going to forgive 7 times. 7 times good, Lord? 7 times? Mm, no, Peter. 70 times 7. Whoop, kind of squash that one. Because that literally meant infinite. No, nobody's asking anybody to be a doormat. We're just wanting to be like Jesus. Listen carefully. See if you can grasp this. You and I can take it on the chin because we know the Lord will take care of us. Do you hear me? You and I can take it on the chin because we know the Lord will take care of us. I've done this in my life. I bet you have too. I've taken it on the chin in my business career. I've taken it on the chin as a pastor. I've taken it on the chin personally. I bet you have too. We've all been in situations where we feel we've been wronged, where we feel we've gotten the short end of the stick or not getting what we believe we worked hard for or deserve. Maybe it was a promotion. Maybe it was a raise. Maybe something that was promised to you and it never happened. And it's frustrating, is it not? Yes. But who are you? Who the Son sets free, oh, is free indeed. Who are you? I'm a child of God. You're part of the family of God. Who's your daddy? God the Father. And he says, I got this. He says to you, I put the stars in their orbit. I can put resources in your orbit that your company can't or won't, or your boss that owed you the raise, owed you the promotion that you didn't get. But I will take care of you. You seek me first in my kingdom and I'll give you the things you need. Matthew 6, There's power in that! So you don't have to walk around all the time with a chip on your shoulder. Man, I have lived so much of my life with a chip on my shoulder. Have you, anybody else? That you just get all bent out of shape and frustrated? Walking around, they didn't do this, they should have done that, they, whatever. It saps you, it drains you. And it can even change your personality. It can make you hateful and mean, despondent. It can even take you into a state of depression. Because you dwell on that. 
So you and I can say to someone, okay, you want to cheat me? You don't want to pay the invoice? Okay. In the first service, that was a man that I used to work for in our first service here. He and I went to see a man that owed us a lot of money, owed the company a lot of money. I mean a lot of money. And the guy just absolutely refused to pay for it. So it, it was just a mess. And so this man looked at that man. He goes, I tell you what, if you can live with it, I can live with it. He said, God's going to provide for me. He says, I'm going to lay my head on my pillow tonight. And he said, and I'm going to be in peace. And he walked out. And I'm like, man, that, that dog will hunt. That's good. And I've never forgotten that. And I'm like, I mean, it was a lot of money, folks. And I'm like, and the Lord did bless. It was amazing. After that, I mean, just watching how God blessed, our sales continued to increase, and God brought into our orbit the things that we needed. He does that. Are you willing to suffer wrong? You say, but Pastor Kevin, you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know how bad they've wronged me. I know. That's called forgiveness. We've talked about that a lot in here too. See, forgiveness is the heart of Christianity. <laughs> God had to forgive us. How? He had to slaughter his son so that there was a way to forgive us. Forgiveness is costly. Jesus took it on the chin for us. And so you know what we're supposed to do? See, Paul was in Ephesus when he was writing back to the church at Corinth. Let me tell you what he told the Ephesians. Look on the screens. Ephesians 4.31, he said, let all, see the word all, don't hold any of it back. Let all bitterness, you, are you bitter? Wrath, anger, clamor, and slander. You keep running these people down behind their back. You keep talking about them over and over. You won't let it go. He said, put it away from you along with all malice. What is that? To get even. And he says, be kind to one another. Y'all be kind, tenderhearted, tenderhearted. What? Forgiving one another. Why? Because God in Christ forgave you. Church, when we're talking about forgiveness, there is no comma and but at the end of the sentence. What? You, you parents understand this. You know, your kids have been fighting and they come to you and you say, y'all need to forgive each other. Okay, well, I forgive him, comma, but. You need to, do, huh, huh. no comma, but. It's just a period there. I forgive him, period. Hey, when you put the comma and do but after it and you recite the whole thing again, you haven't forgiven him. Because it's still there. I mean, you rip off the scab. Let's talk about it. Let me tell you how they're treating me and my family. Let me tell you how they're treating my business, my company. Let me tell you how they didn't pay the invoice. Let me tell you how they're a shyster. Oh, but bless God, I love them. Part of the family of God. <laughs> Want to come to our church? We go to church together. <laughs> so you're being silly. No, I, this is life. Jesus died for the stuff that's after the comma. He died for what they did to you. He died for how they hurt you. So that while they may never repent of it, you can get past it and live. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am who the Son sets free. Oh, it's free indeed. And I can be thankful that the favor of God comes upon me and his blessings to my children and their children and their children for a thousand generations. And I'm not going to pass down bitterness and hatred and fight like the Hatfields and McCoys. You ever get families together and say, what are y'all fighting about? Uh, we don't know. We just always have fought. You don't even know where it started? Nope, don't know. Just always fought. You ever watch that Andy Griffith show where they get these two families together? What y'all been fighting over? I don't have any idea. 
So often that's what it turns into something little. Some, that's what he's talking about, some trivial case. Church, we forgive. That's what families do. You can hang on to it. If you hang on to it, if you hang on to that, that the Holy Spirit's bringing to your mind, it'll eat you alive. I've been there. Man, you can let what somebody did to you, just, you can just hang on to it, and you can keep waiting on them to come to you, and they may never come to you. They may, but they may never come to you. They may never say they're sorry. May never, whatever. And you can hang on to that, and it'll eat you up. It's like battery acid on skin. It destroys. Let it go. Forgive as God in Christ forgave us. So we forgive. See, but the, the Corinthians, were, I, I think they were afraid that the wrongdoer was not going to be punished. And, and so what we see here in verse 9 is we see, we, we see, hey, everybody gets their due. You reap what you sow. Because here comes verse 9. You got verse 9? He said, now listen, y'all. Don't you know that the unrighteous, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Do you not know? Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. <sighs> what a list! Goodness! What does that mean? It means that those who practice these lifestyles, there's a lifestyle of this, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's that simple. Why? Because they give no evidence they've ever been changed. They're still dominated by that lifestyle. So let's see the list. You ready? Here comes the list. Sexually immoral. See, the Greek word there for sexually immoral is pornos. What English word do we get from that, for that? Pornography. Who, who is that? Those who have relations outside of marriage. Now, those of you adults in the room, there's children here maybe watching, you understand relations outside, you, you understand. Idolaters, who are they? Those who worship anything but God. You go, okay, I'm out of that one because I don't worship a little statue or a little piece of the rock. Okay, do you worship your body? Do you worship money? Do you worship your kids? Do you worship your job? Do you worship a hobby? See, it doesn't just have to be some little figurine that you sit on a shelf. Anything that we put ahead of God, whatever we can't get enough of, that's our God. It can even be something good. If we put it ahead of God, though, hmm, whatever we can't get enough of, that's our God, little G-O-D. What about the third group, adulterers? You know what that is. That group are those who have relations with someone other than their spouse. Homosexuals, what is that? Here's the Greek word for that. Arsenokoites. Arsenokoites. And literally in the Greek it means those who have relations with the same sex. I know what the culture says, but this is what the Scripture teaches. Thieves. Look at, look at the Greek word for thieves. Kleptes. What's the English word for a thief? Take stuff all the time. Kleptomaniac. I gotta have it. I'm in Walmart. I gotta have it, so I'm gonna take it and I'm gonna keep it. I'm a klepto. You know what's interesting about that word? That a kleptase is also a false teacher who instructs with deceit. How about that? Because they steal from the, tr the truth from the minds of the people they're teaching. They're a thief. What else? The greedy. Well, that's simple. That's those who covet, who can't ever seem to have enough. <laughs> I struggle with that sometimes, don't you? Godliness with contentment is what? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Drunkards. 
those given to intoxication. You don't want to be a public drunk. It kills the testimony of the church. Revilers, who are those? This, one, this one's interesting. Those who seek to slander someone's name in hope of destroying them. Reviler. And then the last one is the swindler. This is the secret thief. This is the one who steals indirectly. They're the embezzlers and the extortioners. Can I ask you something? Where do you fit on the list? See, because if, if you're not on that list, there's another name we could put there with a definition. Me too. What were you like before you were saved? Do you remember? Do you remember what Jesus saved you from? See, if you're truly born again, you're changed. See, we're going to eventually get to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. What does it say? The, when, you get, when you come to Christ, when you, when you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, the old passes away and behold, all things become new. It's like that caterpillar that turns into that beautiful butterfly. You're not even recognizable from your old way of living. You walk away from that. It's like last week, we walk away from Egypt. We take nothing from Egypt with us. Get out of Dodge and take nothing of your old life with you. You're a new creation. You've been delivered from Satan's system and Satan's kingdom into the family of God, and you don't live and act like the world anymore. So you walk in the things that God has prepared for you. Did you know that God has a plan for your life? You say, yeah, I've heard that. Well, here's what the Bible says. See the screens? Ephesians 2.10, for we, followers of Jesus, are his workmanship. Think of a potter that's on one of those clay wheels and is working that wheel with his foot and his hands are wet and he's molding that clay. That's God and that's what he's doing to you and sometimes he's squeezing on you and pushing on you. And what is he doing? He's preparing you for works created in Christ Jesus, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We should give evidence that we're saved by the things that we do and how we live. Listen, our works won't save us. There is filthy rags for that. But once we get saved, our works give evidence that we're His. And these, those works have been prepared before we were even born that we might walk in them. How are you living? If you're saved, you're to walk in obedience. Keep the commands of Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you know it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, Jesus said. It's not a drag on you. Forget about the commandments. Just think about the love. If you love him, just love him. If you love Jesus, you'll, 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 you'll keep his commands. If the, if the commandments part drags you down, I don't want to keep the commandments. We'll just love Jesus. Because if you love somebody, you're going to take care of them. You're going to do the good things for them. I want to show you a picture of a man. Uh, he's had a great impact on my life, even though he lived a long time ago. This is a man named Eric Little. He was an Olympic gold medalist in the 1924 Paris Olympics. They made a movie about him called Chariots of Fire. He won the gold medal, but not in the race that he had trained for. He refused to run the 100 meters, the race he had trained for, because they ran it on Sunday, and he said, I'm not running on the Lord's Day because I've got to be in church. So he ran a different race. He ran the 400. Now think of that. The 100's short. The 400's a whole lap around the thing. And he won the gold medal. The Lord blessed him. The Lord brought that into his orbit, even though he had been defrauded. It was very easy for that committee to change that race. It had all kinds of other races, but it's an interesting story when you read about it. They refused because there were those who didn't want him to win it anyway. God blessed him. He ended up being a missionary to China. Actually, he was born in China. Eric Little was. 
even though he's from Europe, his parents were missionaries to China. He would go to China and he would serve there and he would die there on the mission field. He's, he had, he's written a book. I have the book. I, I look at it often. A small little book called The Disciplines of the Christian Life. And here's what he said in this book. And this is about obedience. This is what it means to be a Christian. Watch this now. See the quote. Obedience to God's will is the secret of spiritual knowledge and insight. It is not willingness to know, but willingness to do. Obey God's will that brings enlightenment and certainty regarding spiritual truth. Look at me for just a second. Stop for just a second. Are you struggling right now with knowing what to do in your life? Are you doing what you know to do? Are you being obedient to that which you already know is right? See, if you're being disobedient, God's not going to show you anymore. It goes against His character and against His nature. So if you're not being obedient, if you're carrying a grudge, if, if you're cheating somebody, if you're defrauding someone, if you're, if, if, if you're locked into some sort of sin that's on the list, or not on the list, but it's on the list, you know what I'm saying? You're going to struggle. It's doing the will of God that opens up spiritual understanding. Now, now watch as he continues this. Here's some questions he says. Little says this. Here's some questions to ask yourself. If I know something to be true, am I prepared to follow it? Even though it is contrary to what I want, to what I previously said or held to be true, will I follow it even if it means loss of face, owning that I was wrong? Will I follow it even if it means being laughed at by friend or foe? If it means personal financial loss or some kind of hardship? Little says you and I will know as much of God and only as much of God as we are willing to put into practice. And then he quotes that old song, Trust and Obey. You know that song? Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. But what? Trust and obey. Maybe you're having to trust Him right now through something. You don't know how it's going to work out. Just trust Him. And then obey what you know to do is right. Are you saved? You say, yeah, I'm saved. Does your life give indication of it? Does your obedience to Jesus prove it by your lifestyle? Or does your current lifestyle prove you're all talk? Have you denied yourself and taken up your cross? That's what it means to follow Jesus. You see, if you're truly born again and a follower of Jesus, your behavior is consistent with the teachings of Jesus. It's that simple. Don't say you're a follower of Jesus and then don't do what he says. If you're a child of God, then that's your identity. You're part of the family of God. Yes, I am. Sadly, so many claim to be a Christian, and yet sin has a hook in their nose, and they're being led around by it. You living in sin? You, you want to know what that sin does? You ready? It's a hook in your nose. <laughs> I hate her guts. Every time I see her, she gets on my nerves. Oh, I just, oh, if I could just get that. Oh, I need that. I'm coveting that. I'm, I want that so bad. I want that so bad. You say, you look silly. Exactly. And the world looks at us as Christians and goes, I don't want no part of that. Church, you want to know what the greatest proof that Jesus is real is? our transformed lives. You, you want to know what the greatest testimony that you've got? It's not that you have all the answers or you know every, every nuance of every doctrine in Scripture. It's your life. Your transformed life, my transformed life is what speaks volumes to a lost world. They say, man, they've been changed.
They've been born again. They're different. They're not the same. And that's verse 11, the transformed life. Look at verse 11, we'll be done. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Did you catch that, the word were? How many times was it used? Four times. Were, were, were. What does that mean for you, you English folks? What tense is that written in? Past tense. That means you were delivered from that lifestyle. See the list? This means that those Corinthians were delivered from these lifestyles. The sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. Church, I don't care what you've done in your life. You could have been a soldier that rammed the nails in his hands and feet. You could have been a soldier at the cross that rammed the spear in his side or the crown of thorns on his head. You could have been in the crowds that were mocking Christ and spitting on him as he walked by. And yet Jesus still died on the cross for you and said, I'll take him. I'll take him. I'll take them. No matter what you've done, I died for that too. I died for the comma and what you want to put after it that that person did for you and to you. I'll take them. How do you join the family of God? You give your life to Him. You surrender to Him. And you too will be part of the family of God. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com slash mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.